0: advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Joan Melendez Meisner is a mission integration systems engineer at NASA for the Launch Services Program, working on management of space and aeronautical flight systems for all non-crewed and scientific missions. Joan got a dual bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and chemistry from the University of Maryland and a master's degree in systems engineering from Naval Postgraduate School. Prior to working at NASA, Joan worked for Blue Origin on the New Glenn rocket and Naval Air Systems Command on jet engines, fuel systems, and biofuels research. Joan was chosen to be a part of the U.S. Department of Defense's 30 Under 30 campaign to raise awareness about STEM career opportunities. So, in the layperson's tongue, Joan is, of course, a rocket scientist. She is also a science communicator and influencer with 14,000 followers on Instagram, and some of her TikTok videos have hundreds of thousands of views. Welcome, Joan. We're so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. So Joan, what is a science communicator and why is that important?
1: So a science communicator is someone that in layman's terms just communicates science to the world, to anybody who would like to hear it. And so I started doing science communication, I think end of last year is when I started doing it. And so I just started posting you know, what I do for Naval Air Systems Command at the time, what I do on Instagram, on social media. And a lot of people were very curious as to how I got that position, how I got to be an engineer working on Navy engines or on carriers. And so I wanted to turn that into an open discussion to anybody who wants to ask me questions, or, you know, ask me either career advice, or, again, how I got to where I am. And I wanted to have an open forum for anybody to be able to communicate with me. And so that's how I was able to kind of jump into the science communication field. And so, you know, a lot of the science communicators they want to do is they want to spread STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math education to anybody who wants to go into that field or is interested in that career path. And you know i'm very open in on instagram on tiktok on twitter on facebook and that's my main goal with science communication is i want to show where i came from which is you know someone who's r- not really interested in stem who didn't really know much about stem to being a nasa engineer you know i want to make sure that folks are aware that if that's something that you want to do that it's very attainable for you and so that's what i try to do with my platform as a science communicator Yeah, that's
0: so cool. And I think you're very relatable, you know, when people you're younger and you have this fun personality online. So I think people see it and they think, oh, this is a really fun video to watch. This is something everyone else is watching. Maybe I'll check it out. And then they learn something while they're at it and then they get inspired. So I think that's really cool.
1: And that's what I love to do, especially with TikTok. Uh, so TikTok approached a couple of us on Instagram for their Creative Learning Fund, and they're trying to not change the platform, but add to the platform. So the platform mm-hmm. is really known for, you know, the dances that Charlie Dimilio does. You know, a lot of those TikTok influencers either lip syncing and you know that kind of style. But they mm-hmm. want to start. Bringing a lot of the education aspect to the platform, they want people, you know, in between the dancing videos, at the lip-syncing videos, they want to see if someone is interested in a NASA mission that's coming up, you know, on Saturday, or how to do a science experiment. And so they're trying to, you know, bring a lot of these creators and influencers to their app so they can expand their platform because they're, I think, they're number one platform right now on the App Store and so they want to, you know, broaden what the app is supposed to be for. So that is it's a really neat opportunity to do a lot of those videos, but it's also challenging because with TikTok it's a, you know, a short attention span. I mean, I personally I'm on TikTok. I scroll through those videos very quickly. So, you know, in order to catch the people's interest, you need to catch them from the very beginning. So a lot of my videos are either 15 seconds or less. So mm-hmm. imagine trying to talk science and space in 15 seconds or less. So I try to have them be engaging to the audience, but at the same time, try to teach them something. So they come out of it saying, oh, hey, there's a NASA launch that's going to be launching astronauts to the International Space Station You know, this past weekend mm-hmm. or something like that. So you know, they can bring themselves into the science world. And I think it's fantastic what TikTok is doing. Yeah, that's very encouraging to hear. I didn't know they
0: were pursuing that. It sounds like it's progressive and can really help a lot of people. So I'm glad to hear that. Absolutely. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your job. You know, what is a day in the life of Joan Melendez Meisner right now? I mean, other than the TikToks,
1: which is really cool,
0: what are you doing at work?
1: So I'm in this like very weird um, transition. So as you mentioned, I worked at Blue Origin and recently I got hired at NASA, which I think I've been at NASA for about three months. So this whole entire time it's been in the middle of this pandemic. And so it's kind of a weird transition because You know, this entire time that I've worked for NASA, I've worked from home. So, a lot of the team members, a lot of my coworkers, I've actually personally never met in person. So, I've just talked to them through Microsoft Teams or, you know, Zoom or something like that. And so, you know, a typical day for me is as a, launch integration engineer, I'm responsible for being kind of the interface between the spacecraft and the launch vehicle. So the spacecraft, uh, for example, the Mars 2020, the Mars Perseverance rover that just launched in July, that would be considered the spacecraft. And then the launch vehicle would be either a Falcon 9 or a SpaceX or a ULA rocket. And so as an integration engineer, I'm kind of the go-between, and I'm the interface. I'm the face for both of those people to make sure that the spacecraft is getting a launch vehicle that'll meet their requirements, and then also the launch vehicle is going to be, you know, tested, and their requirements are going to meet those spacecraft. So right now, a lot of my stuff is meetings, a lot of meetings, writing a lot of documents. So currently, right now, uh, there's a launch that's coming up on Saturday, which is actually my birthday, and that is a Sentinel Six launch, and that's a space spacecraft that's going to be, or it's a satellite that'll be orbiting our earth and it'll give us more data for weather forecasting. And then it's going to give us data on the height of the ocean. So it's going to help us with climate change research. So a lot of stuff leading up to that launch, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that a lot of people don't typically see is there is a whole bunch of meetings leading up to that. There's a whole bunch of testing. We need to make sure that the spacecraft, in this case, it's a satellite is encapsulated into the fairing, which is the top of the rocket, which opens up and releases the satellite or the rover to space um, to the trajectory that it's supposed to go. So we need to make sure that a lot of that stuff is going to test and it's going to do exactly what it's supposed to do on the day of launch. We need to make sure that the propellants, which is the gas that's going into the rocket, that all of that is chilled to where it's supposed to be. So there's just a whole bunch of groundwork, a lot of, you know, a lot of meetings, a lot of going back and forth with the Air Force because we're launching out of a Air Force facility in California, which is Vandenberg, we need to make sure that all of that is working together. So as a typical day for me right now, it's just riddled in a whole bunch of meetings going into making sure that all of that is set for Saturday's launch.
0: Wow. What a birthday present.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm hoping it'll be a good launch just because weather is always the number one thing that you definitely cannot control. Yes.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about your background. I read that you were the first person in your family to get a college degree. How did you get started on that path?
1: Sure. So originally I did not Want, STEM was not even on my radar. You know, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, and so you know, I interned at a hospital when I first started college. And I was lucky enough because I was able to intern at an emergency room my freshman year in college. So at that time, I was already taking a lot of the math, a lot of the science that a pre-med student would take. And so I, you know, I interned at a hospital, and the amount of blood that I saw. At the emergency room completely turned me off i you know i immediately was just like i can't be a doctor i can't see this i can't handle this amount of blood i can't handle needles so i was able to talk to my guidance counselor and kind of course correct and she you know brought up you know she asked me what do i like to do in my spare time and i tell her well you know i'm a problem solver um, my family always goes to me for technical advice You know, so she's like, Well, have you ever heard of STEM or engineering? And I always thought it was very male dominated. So I was just like, I don't know if I really want to get into that. And, you know, I'm so glad that I did. I took the classes, you know, the prereq classes for engineering, and I was hooked because it helped me get into the problem solving size, which I really love, and dig deeper into that. And so, you know, I'm really glad that I was able to find what I like to do early on in my career versus, you know, getting into med school and then just course correcting there, which would have been a little bit difficult. But in general, my mom, you know, she didn't get a college degree. She worked at a factory making ambulances. And then for her second and third job, she cleaned offices like doctor's offices, dentist offices, and she would bring me along. And it was just, you know, to help her, but not only to help her, but at the same time, kind of. Show me that, you know, you need to get a college degree because I want you to do better than what I currently am right now. And so that's why she is, you know, one of my favorite people in the planet, one of my inspirations, because she always wanted the best for all of us. And there's three of us in the family. So I have a brother and a sister that are younger than me. And then my father was in the army, so he enlisted right out of high school. So both of them, you know, we struggled when we were growing up. You know, we were rich in, you know, other people's eyes, but in our eyes we aren't really rich. And so, you know, the struggles that I saw that my family had to go through. That's something that my mom didn't want me for when I started my career. so she was my number one supporter, whether I wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer or anything like that. So you know she always wanted to make sure that she had the best for her children
0: and what did you mean when you said that you were rich in other people's eyes?
1: So you know, if there's other countries, so my parents divorced, so my father is remarried, and my stepmom is from Ecuador. and so when I visited down there, you know, I thought that we struggled when we were growing up, but, you know, growing up in Orlando in a lower middle class is better than growing up in other countries where, you know, they don't have the education that we have. So that's what I meant with like rich in other people's eyes, but not rich in ours.
0: Right. You did face struggles during your childhood, but you know, what was it that made you want to even get into being a doctor? Because that is a STEM field also. What kind of gave you that inspiration? So
1: TV shows, (laughs) you know, I watched uh, Grey's Anatomy and I, you know, I, I always knew that in order to get out or in order to be upper middle class or at least middle class, you needed to have a good career. And, you know, I always saw as being a doctor as something that's stable. You know, obviously, it would be a STEM field as well, but something stable, something that would you know, later in the future, they'll still need doctors because people will still get sick. So something that's stable, something that brings in the money, but at the same time gives you that job stability.
0: I totally get that because when I was interviewed once, someone asked me what made me want to be a lawyer because I went to law school and I started out as a lawyer and I said, Allie McBeal. <laughs>
1: Exactly. So Grey's Anatomy, a lot of those, uh, you know, movies and TV shows. Absolutely.
0: Yep. (laughs) You started out in aviation and then you moved to the space sector. Is working at NASA your ultimate goal? And how did you make that move from the aviation sector to the space sector?
1: That's a really good question. I grew up in Orlando, Florida. So having the Space Coast next to me was, you know, something, it was very accessible for me. So I grew up in the 90s and in the 2000s. So, you know, the shuttle program was kind of at its peak and then get heading on the way down. So I got to see a lot of space rockets launch. I got to see a lot of the shuttles come back and land on the Strip. And so, you know, growing up, I again, I wanted to be a doctor just because I, I had that mentality. But at the same time, I always found space fascinating. And I thought that it would be kind of neat to work in something that's bigger than yourself. So mm-hmm. working on a rocket that's exploring the universe and, you know, I never thought that I would be able to work at NASA because I always thought that in order to work there, you had to be a genius or a 4.0 GPA, you know, someone that didn't have, you know, the struggles that I went through when I was in college. I failed organic chemistry, you know, I think I failed a calculus class. So I always thought that working at NASA was not attainable for me. And so, you know, I always had in the back of my mind that it would be kind of neat to work there. So I started in aviation, working for Naval Air Systems Command, as you mentioned, and it was fantastic i wouldn't trade it for the world i was able to go on a carrier and you know see a whole bunch of stuff that i wouldn't be able to see unless i was actually in the navy and the move from the aviation to the space sector was a little easier than i originally thought i went to a nasa social last year which for those of you who don't know, NASA's really, really good with their social media game. And so what they do is whenever there's big launches that are coming up, they'll bring people that are really big on social media, bring them to Kennedy Space Center or other NASA centers, and you know, show them the facility, give them a tour of the NASA facility, talk to NASA engineers, and at the end of it, you get to see the rocket launch. And so, me, it was the demo two rocket. So it was the launch prior to Doug and Bob going to the ISS. So it was a really big one um, that SpaceX was doing. And it was a night launch. I think it was at like 2.30 in the morning. So it kind of sucked in the beginning. But after watching that launch, I flat out told myself, you know what, I'm going to try to move to the space sector. I think it's time. I think it's time for me to start to move, you know, to the space sector. And, you know, it was less than a year later. I think it was six months later that I got my job at Blue Origin. And it was because, you know, I started talking to the NASA engineers and the SpaceX engineers from that launch. And, you know, I kind of picked their brains, whether it was through social media, whether it was through email. And you know, I I asked them how they were able to get jobs, like what are they looking for? What is the requirements and the experience that they look for? And yeah, from there, less than six months later, I was able to get a job at Blue Origin. That's incredible.
0: And what a message. You can fail calculus and still be a rocket scientist.
1: Exactly. And that's what I love to do about, you know, the science communication portion of what I like to do is I love to talk about the struggles because, you know, again, I want to humanize the STEM profession that you can struggle, you can have that imposter syndrome, you can fail and still get to where you want to be if you keep on going. Well, you worked for
0: Blue Origin on the New Glenn rocket, which I believe is named after astronaut John Glenn. Is that correct?
1: Correct, correct.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that and what it was like to work there and what it's like at NASA as well?
1: Yeah, so I worked for the government for about eight years. So I worked for Navair for about eight years. And, you know, the private sector to me was something, I don't want to say scary, but something that I really was kind of scared to walk into because the stuff that I would hear is, you know, the private sector is different than government. They, you work longer hours and, you know, they work you 50, 60 hours a week. And so I was a little scared to move over to Blue Origin, but I'm super glad that I did because Blue Origin is one of my favorite jobs that I had to date. It's really hard to get in and I won't sugarcoat it. It's a long process. I think they have a three interview process with the third one being an all day interview where you talk about yourself for an hour and then you go straight into management interviews and so it was very intimidating but the reward is so great. I got to work on you know the new Glenn which is the the new rocket that's going to be in height-wise it's really close to the Apollo rocket which is one of the tallest rockets that we've ever built and so it's going to mirror that it's going to be extremely tall so I got to work on essentially the ground up because you know since it's new and it's interesting I got to be there at the starting point of all of that especially with the launch pad so the launch pad that blue origin bought you know it's an older launch pad but they completely tore it down because the old launch pad that it was for it was for smaller rockets and so since the new glenn is going to be extremely massive they had to essentially start from scratch so i was able to help design a lot of the elements that go onto the launch pad whether it's the water tower which is i think it's the world's tallest water tower and I think we're gonna be going or blue is going to be going in the Guinness World Book Records which is kind of interesting oh, um, cool. and so yeah my you son, never my thought son that.
0: loves that and I just got the 2021 <laughs> <laughs> nice
1: yeah I think uh you never thought about being on the you know a company being there for tallest water tower but you know blue origin is going to be one of them which is it's gonna be really cool you know I was able to help build that I got to help build a lot of the ground up and right before I left you know they're finishing up the launch pad so it was really neat to work at Blue origin because everything felt really startup ish because mm-hmm. it's it's still kind of a startup because you know Jeff Bezos is funding them, which I think is fantastic that all these billionaires are using their money to explore space. But you know, being able to with the cutting edge technology, getting to work with very extremely smart people was really fantastic. And so that transitioned over to NASA, which, you know, I, I never thought that I would make it to NASA. It's hard to get into NASA. And that's what I, I like to also talk about is, you know, I applied to NASA since February of last year, I think 13 times, and I never got an interview. And it wasn't that I wasn't good enough. It was just that there was other people that had more experience than me getting the jobs. And so... You know, the 13th time that I applied, I was able to get that interview and eventually getting the job. But NASA, it's a little bit different because I'm back in the government side and NASA is now working with these private companies. So SpaceX, Blue Origin and all of that stuff, because all of us are collectively working together to send satellites, spacecraft, all that stuff to space. And so NASA is kind of, I don't want to say it took the back role, but essentially they're you know, now that they're partnering with these space companies, it's like we're using their rockets to launch stuff. Prior to that, we were using the shuttle to bring astronauts or satellites and all that stuff. So, you know, it's really interesting. It's a really neat era that we're moving into with NASA working with these private companies. It's fascinating.
0: Have you faced any challenges as a woman and as a Latina woman in the field?
1: So one of my favorite examples that I love to tell people is... As a woman in STEM, you know, we're still the minority. I think we're at between 24 and 28% of the STEM field is women in STEM. And so, you know... Together collectively, we need to hype each other up. And that's what a lot of us do on Instagram is you know, we hype each other up. We're each other's hype woman because <laughs> there's not a lot of us there. And so whenever one of us has an achievement, we you know post it all over Instagram. We need to make sure that other people are, are checking them out because, you know, there's not a lot of us out there. And the more women that you have out there as a role model is going to help the future generations get into STEM and not see as a very male dominated field. One example for me and one of the struggles that I had is when I was working for the aviation side, I was put as a lead on a project. And I was still very much a minority because, you know, not I was only a female, I was also a Latina as well. I walked into a room and I had a male colleague come up to me and said, hey, would you like to take notes? And I looked around and I was like, I was the only female. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was the only female in the room. And, you know, instead of getting angry, instead of getting you know, taken back by it, I kind of just joked around and I said, well, no, I can't because I'm going to be busy. (laughs) And so a couple seconds later, I go to the front of the room and I introduce myself and I'm like, hey, my name is Joan. I'm the lead of this project. And then just the room kind of went silent. And so, you know, a lot of that stuff, a lot of us deal with, you know, throughout our careers. And it's something that you can either you know, get mad at and, you know, dwell over, or you can take the opportunity to just move on from it and Mm -hmm. have it being like as a learning experience for your colleagues. So they're aware that, you know, we need to move on past these stereotypes of, hey, women are just there to either take notes or, you know, be the admin, which there's nothing wrong with that either, because we have amazing admin assistants for NASA but you know just having that stereotype being that a woman can't be an engineer or you know she can't be a lead on a project. So a lot of that stuff stems from it being so male dominated for so long, but I think the more people that they get into the STEM profession, the more we can move past those stereotypes. Yeah.
0: Well, a lot of our audience are, you know, younger women looking to learn about fields and learn about how they can get into these male dominated fields and learn about other women's experiences in them. And then many of our audience members are women in various male-dominated industries, some of them in the upper echelons of their fields. And I'm just curious, what do you think it is that women in leadership positions like yours have in common? What is the underlying thread that weaves you together?
1: Perseverance, motivation, Mm -hmm. and just the will to break stereotypes and break barriers Because I know that, you know, a lot of the women that I look up to, the Mercury 13 being a group of women that were trained by the astronaut corps back when they're doing their first astronaut class, and they weren't allowed to be astronauts because they were women, but a lot of these, you know, women in the Mercury 13 did better than the male astronaut counterparts that actually did go to become astronauts for NASA. And so, you know, a lot of these women being able to break barriers for the next class, I think is definitely what motivates me because I eventually want to see whether it's in my lifetime or whether, you know, I'm about to retire is having that 50-50, you know, women to male ratio in the STEM field. And in order to do that, you have to have motivation to keep pushing forward, to keep getting those leadership positions, to being mentors, to being role models, to being out there, putting yourself out there, especially in the era of social media, to being able to put yourself out there and show your struggles, show you know, your career, show you know, the good side, the bad side so future generations can see and see if that's what they want to get into and keep motivating them to keep going and pushing the barriers into these STEM fields.
0: Yeah. Well, your authenticity is very compelling. And I think that's evident by the amount of audience members you've grown to have. Where can everyone get in touch with you and follow your TikTok and follow your Instagram? Where can they find you?
1: So I have a pretty easy-ish handle. At your female engineer is my Instagram and TikTok and also Facebook. And then on Twitter, unfortunately, it was a little too long. So you can find me as at Astro Joni.
0: Well, Joan Melendez Meisner, also known as Joan Marie, also known as your female engineer. It has been such an honor to have you on the Hazard Girls podcast. For a lot of young people, the idea of working at NASA is a life's dream. And for many, it probably seems out of reach, but you're here to tell them it's not out of reach, that you can achieve your dreams. So thank you so much for that inspiration and for being here with us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This has been fantastic. And as you said, you know, people can reach out to me on social media. I'm definitely a normal person. I'm about ready to watch the next season of The Crown on Netflix. So, (laughs) you know, I don't only speak space and science. You know, I love watching TV. I'm really into music. So I play the piano and all this stuff. So, you know, I'm just a regular person. And that's what I love to showcase is to, to others who are interested in NASA or, or any other field that they want to get into is that it's attainable, it's achievable. You know, you just have to have those role models in place, you know, talk to them, talk to people that, you know, if there's a career choice that you want to get into whether it's the oil, aviation or any others, you know, make sure that you seek those individuals out on social media. A lot of them are very, very nice and are willing to share their experiences with, you know, your audience or anybody. So please reach out to those and reach out to me if you ever want to talk about space, science, Netflix or <laughs> any books because I also love to read. So feel free to do that.
0: That sounds great and thank you so much for letting everyone know that. I think, you know, being called a rocket scientist it might make you seem intimidating <laughs> to some people, but I think you've proven that that you are very approachable.
1: So okay. <laughs> thanks.
0: You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.